0: Hey there, welcome to this edition of The Shaleen Show. There's a very good chance that you have a plan B, something that you can fall back on if this thing doesn't work out. Well, today, my guest is going to encourage you to throw your plan B out the window and instead to commit fully to the one thing you know you wanna do. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Today, I am joined by someone who's a dad, someone who's a son, a husband, a motivator, a father, a friend, a mentor, a coach, a storyteller, and he also just happens to have been one of the top NFL picks. Today, my guest is none other than Bo Eason, now, your husband might recognize that name from the NFL. He played for the Houston Oilers, the San Francisco 49ers. But after Bo suffered a career-ending injury, he found himself, as do many people, like struggling with, who am I? Like, what was I meant to do? What is my purpose if I'm not on the football field? Like, what is my purpose? And how do I get that high back? How do I get that adrenaline rush? How do I get that thing that I felt when I was on the football field? And what he realized is what he felt was the rush, the adrenaline of being his best. And he soon came to understand that if he just applied that same mentality to just about anything, he could feel that same sense of purpose. And today, that's what he helps people do. He helps people to become their best. Bo went on to become a prolific actor and playwright. As a matter of fact, Bo was the playwright and only actor in a one-man show about his life called Runt of the Litter. Yes, he plays himself, every coach. He plays his brother, he plays his mother, he plays his father. It's one of the best plays I've ever seen in my entire life. He took that play off-Broadway on a 50-city national tour. He's been featured on countless stages around the world, and today he's a speaker and a leadership coach. He's been on our stage at the Marketing Impact Academy as well as Smart Success because Bo trains people how to be successful. Successful in the world of athletics, successful in the world of entrepreneurship, business executives. He teaches people how to be the best. And today, Bo is here to share strategies with us from his new book, There's No Plan B, for your A-game. Bo Eason, thank you so much for joining me here today on The Shaleen Show.
1: Thanks, Shaleen. Always great to be with you.
0: I'm excited. We'll spend some time together this fall at a few football games as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember seeing you guys at a game last fall see Brock play, and then uh, I'll see you this fall, too. So I'm excited.
0: You know, and it really kind of lends itself to what we're going to talk about today, which Is your new book, and this thing that I believe you're really so good at, and that is helping people be their best.
1: That term, the best, has been, you know, an obsession of mine since I was a kid because that's the way my dad woke us up every single morning.
0: I'm glad you brought up your father because that was one of the questions I had when I read the first chapter of your book, and you start by sharing you know, kind of the story of your father, and you just get a sense of who he is. And I mean, I could picture him, I could hear his voice. But I wondered to myself, how much we are able to reprogram our brains, if we didn't have that kind of influence. So, you know, you and I were fortunate enough to have parents who did tell us we were the best. But what about that person who is having to reprogram that because they had a parent who maybe didn't say, like, you're the worst, but they didn't get that boy.
1: It's funny. When you grow up, you think that everybody's growing up the same way. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know there's any, you don't know people aren't being told that. And so I thought every other kid must be being woken up like this, too. <laughs> and so not until you you know get a little older and you you know enter the the world you go oh wow i guess people didn't wake up the same way i did so that's been really what i've tried to do going forward now that i understand that because the most important thing wasn't that he was saying it i think it wasn't that he was saying i was the best which that carried a lot of weight it's what he saw in me that i couldn't see for myself mm. or what he saw in my brother and my sisters, that they just couldn't quite articulate or see for themselves. And when somebody does that, I, I always think that's a great coach. You know, like a, a great coach sees something in you that you cannot see and then speaks it until you figure out to live into that, what they see.
0: Is that a prerequisite then? In other words, if I have grown up with the opposite programming and I'm in my own head and I'm repeating these things that I know aren't useful, aren't helpful, and I don't believe in myself, do I need somebody else to say they see it in me in order for me to see it in me? Can I do that for myself?
1: You know, it's a great question, Shaleen, and one I haven't really considered before or been asked before. But as you ask it, I'm going... Well, yeah, you just have Mm -hmm. to do it for yourself. You have to see it in yourself and then live into being the best at whatever discipline that you choose. And if you just think back, all of us human beings, you know, if we just think back, I always say, to Mother Nature, Mm -hmm. she always has all the answers Mm. to these questions that we're going over. Like, do I need someone else's approval? Do I need someone else to say it to me? And if you go back to Mother Nature and you go back to the day that you were conceived and the odds against you being born.
0: Yeah, that was a a really interesting statistic in the book. So can you share with our listeners, what are the odds of us being born?
1: On the day of our conception, the odds are 300 million to one, because that's how many sperm are released. So imagine that, Shaleen, 300 million to one odds that you're born. And now you're competing for the first time as a sperm and you're swimming your butt off and you're competing against all your potential brothers and sisters to do one thing to fertilize the egg. I think about that day. I think about who I was on that day and who you were on that day and who everybody was on that day that's on this earth. And they were not casual. They were powerful. It was a swim to the death. And they won, like we won against all those odds. So now we're born into this world, and it seems that the world is trying to prove to us or advertise to us that we're not the best. And we already were born the best. So now we have to backpedal our whole lives trying to figure out, am I the best or am I not? Well, I say we are, Mm. and we were way before I ever showed up. Mm. And now all we have to do is to fulfill on what mother nature and a million years of evolution have taught us, which is to fulfill on being the best.
0: And so much of what you teach people is to create that story, to yeah. create a story so that you believe that story and that that's such an important element of success. So how do we learn to create that story if the one that we have been telling ourselves is like negative or like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm too small. I'm not young enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not fill in the blank. I'm not enough. If that's the story we are telling ourselves, can we change our story?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we're the author. So if you think of your life as a movie or or as a, a great novel or a play, you are the author of it. So you can either live that life of negativity of I'm, um, you know, this or I'm not good enough or I'm not loved or I don't have enough money or what I don't have the right genes. Well, that's what most people do. They just mm-hmm. take their existing family story and they keep that story afloat. They keep it alive. And mm-hmm. it's not even their story. They just kind of adopted it from their family. Like oh, my family are yeah. a bunch of underachievers or my family's overweight. They live out that story instead of going, you know what, I'm the author of my story. I get to take this bull by the horns and I get to say who I am. And so here's what most people do with their story. They write a crappy story. If you're the owner of the story, why wouldn't you write a heroic love story or somebody who has to slave fire-breathing dragons? If you write that story and start to live that story, that's how your life is. That's exactly how your life is. It's just most people just won't do it.
0: They say that plagiarism is the act of taking someone else's work or someone else's story and then passing it off as your own. And I think what you've just described is like when we are just carrying on and repeating the story someone else told us or the story of our family, and it's not our story. It's not what we want our story to be. We should think of it as plagiarism.
1: No, it's awful. And like, usually we have these family histories of, you know, disease or alcoholism or what infidelity, all these crazy things. And we take those things on because it's in our family and we believe it to be true. Well, that's when you just have to draw this line of demarcation saying, no, this is my life. I'm going to live it and rewrite this sucker like I want to live it Mm. and then do that. That's a big part, actually, of the book. Shaleen, which is this declaration piece. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but yeah,
0: I'm really glad that you did bring that up because that was a concept that at first I was a little skeptical. Because you make this point that people get so caught up in how to do things that it ends up stopping them. And so, explain to us what the difference is in terms of our mindset and our motivation when you start with a declaration, and maybe perhaps even explain what you mean by declaration.
1: Yeah, what I mean by declaration is, see, I don't like the word goals. It just doesn't do enough for me. Mm -hmm. I like the word declaration, because it's no different than the Declaration of Independence, which, you know, 250 years ago, our forefathers write that declaration for the United States, right? So 250 years later, you and me, and our families, and everyone in America is bringing that declaration to life day in and day out, how we live our lives and how we express our freedoms, how we walk, how we have freedom, how we can go into that restaurant. We can wear our hair this way. We can speak this way. We live out our declaration and we didn't even write it. It was written so long ago. So I like making my dreams into declarations like when i was nine i want to be the best safety in the world when i was 29 i want to be the best playwright or the best stage performer in the world when you write a declaration like that now it's not about trying to achieve that declaration it is a function of living into that declaration like day one i start to live like the best safety in the world i start to be The best safety in the world. Instead of having this long to do list that's going to take me, you know, a long time to achieve all these things, I start to be Mm. and live into the best safety in the world. That's the reason I like declaration because it's a living, breathing thing. Instead Mm. of a goal that takes a to do list to follow to get to, I like when you actually have to be the thing. Wow. So it's like, it's very intentional. Very. And you don't have to wait to be it. So Hmm. when I was nine and I declared, I want to be the best safety in the world. I gave myself 20 years. But on day one, when I was nine, I was being what I thought the best safety would be. I walked like the best safety. I talked like the best safety. I became the best safety. Now, no one else knew it. Right. Because I wasn't old enough or big enough or strong enough yet. And as the years passed, and as I lived into that declaration, Mm -hmm. the world then caught up with my dreams. Mm -hmm. So then it became true. Well, the same is true for all of us. If we'll just declare what we want to be, what Mm -hmm. we want to do, and then start to live it today. That's interesting.
0: You know, and just to stay here for a moment, when I think about the listener who's decided they want to start a business, let's say, or to go back to school. To be the best mom that they can be whatever that that declaration is for them at a certain point you then need to figure out like well okay well how do i do this like i, I need to figure out a plan right stated another way you're saying don't start with trying to figure out how because that's going to stop you just declare it first like make that your very first step your intention
1: yeah because if you think about the how too soon, like if I go, okay, I'm thinking about making a declaration of being the best safety in the world. Hmm, how am I going to do that? I'm dead in the water right there. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to go forward. So you've got to make the statement. You've got to make the declaration. Then you start to live that thing out. Because if you think of the how, here's the problem. It's going to take you years, and it's going to be hard, Yeah. and you're going to face a lot of uh, failure, a lot of loss. If you start thinking about that too soon, now you're going to be dead in the water. You're just not going to go forward. It's going to be over before it ever starts.
0: Yeah. You mentioned you're going to experience failure. You're going to experience pain, and these things are true. I hear from women that say, I want to start a business, or I want to create extra income online for my family, or I want to you know, get in the best shape of my life, whatever it is. And then they always followed up with, but I don't know where to start, and I don't know how. Mm -hmm. This is really so important. I hope people are listening and that you're writing this down because it's really true. Just freaking decide you're going to do it. Like that is such a huge thing. And don't make that dependent upon knowing exactly how you're going to do it because the how will come to you. The how is part of the journey, but the journey never even starts if you don't just decide, just declare it.
1: I agree 100%. This question of how has stopped more dreams than high school counselors mm. or or a bad coach or a bad parent. I think that question of how stops you in your tracks because you're not really wanting to know how. You're wanting to know how you're getting out of this declaration. The how, just like you said, Shaleen, is going to hit you right in the face the first step you take.
0: Right. And what if it's the wrong step? Like, let's talk about this concept of course correction and what does mm-hmm. that mean?
1: I don't think there's any missteps because are any wrong declarations. So if you make a declaration to be the best ballerina in the world and you're going and you've spent a year and you're becoming and you're being that best ballerina and now you're four years in and you decide that it is the wrong place, that could happen the right place always reveals itself when you're on the path to the wrong place so mastery is mastery can you
0: say that again
1: when you make a declaration and Mm -hmm. you're on your way to mastering that thing called ballet sure if that is the wrong thing for you Mm -hmm. the right thing is going to rear its head to you
0: Okay, Bo. we're gonna take a quick break and that is because based on what we're talking about right now, I have something that I know is going to help my lifers. Those of you who are struggling with figuring out like what your thing is and like pulling the trigger, I wanna help you with this. Lifers, this is something I know you wanna figure out. I know you wanna figure out your thing, I know that because you ask me to help you figure out your thing all the time, but you see, I don't know What makes you tick? I don't know what you love. I don't know your experiences. I don't know what unique gifts and talents God has bestowed upon you, but I know that he has. And I know that you have them. And I also know that you're probably so close to it that it's right under your nose and you don't see it. So because of that, I've created this questionnaire. It's a questionnaire that I've used with my Marketing Impact Academy students. So when people join the Marketing Impact Academy, there's a group of people who already have a business, right? And so they started a different place from those who start in the academy who they don't know what their thing is, but they know they wanna do something. And so what I've been doing is taking them through this questionnaire. It's a process. And what it does is it helps to lay out in front of you those things, sometimes it's one very, very obvious, and sometimes it's a couple of different things. So I wanna share this with you, and I've never done this before, But I want you to take advantage of it because first of all, it's really a cool experience to go through this. And secondly, it is going to reveal that thing, the thing that you should start with. To get your hands on this questionnaire, all you have to do is go to shaleen.com forward slash my thing and just tell me where to send it. And you don't even have to memorize that link. All you have to do is look below our show notes. So if you just hover over the art for this podcast just below it you'll see show notes and a description and i've placed a link to this questionnaire all you have to do is click on that link and tell me where to send it all right now back to my interview with Bo Eason. how do we tap into that place where we listen to our intuition For example, I find that a lot of people feel like if they change course, they're quitting.
1: Yeah, no. Quitting is a part of mastery. It is.
0: I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. (laughs) That's so huge.
1: It's so appropriate. Look, my kids quit when they were little. They would quit like every day. As soon as something got hard, whether it's a dance move or a basketball move, as soon as they couldn't master it. They would cry, they would throw themselves on the ground, and they would say, I quit. And I would get the biggest smile on my face because I knew it was appropriate that they quit for the moment, mm. knowing that they're going to re enter the fray as soon as they get up off the sofa.
0: When do we know it's time to quit something altogether?
1: Wow, it's going to be different for everybody, Mm -hmm. but the more you get in touch with your own instincts, your own primitive instincts, the better you are at that. And, you know, our culture is really bad at that. Yeah. And the culture is really bad at, like, making fun of you if you trust your instincts. Like, they go, well, that doesn't count. Those are just instincts. And I'm like, really? That's the most important thing. Yeah. You've got to be able to trust yourself. The moves that you will make, like, so say you're four years in, in this 20-year plan to be the best ballerina. Well, you're four years in, and all of a sudden, you see something. You feel something over here to your left or to your right, and you just take a slight turn, and you go toward it. All the mastery that you've built up over those four years now will reveal the right thing, and that right thing is like a, it hits you over the head, and you'll know when you feel it. And it's an instinctual thing. You've got to be able to trust yourself like that. Now, the whole world is really bad right now <laughs> at trusting their own instincts. Yeah. Even most instinctual people, like you would think elite athletes, are really good trusting themselves. But even them are second-guessing themselves. You can kind of see it.
0: I think it's because we are inundated with so... Messages from everywhere, messages from TV, messages from people we went to high school with who normally we wouldn't even see, but they follow us on Facebook, messages on Instagram, messages like there's so much messaging that it can really muddy your own
1: intuition. That's right. Yeah. And everyone is a commentator, like everyone (laughs) comments on where you're headed, and everyone's got an opinion as if they're a critic. And so now you're just thinking you're stopping yourself before you ever do anything because you're anticipating somebody making a comment about you or critiquing you before you're even out of the gates.
0: So here you are, a former NFL football player, and the traditional trajectory is you're going to go into sports commentating, maybe you're going to become a coach or own a used car lot right? Those are your three options. (laughs) And you decide, nah, I'm going to go on Broadway. I'm going to become an actor. There had to have been a point at which you're really developing your mastery, but you're also getting this message from the world. Like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't it. How did you know? Because I think so many of us have this belief, like, what am I doing here? And we let that voice get louder and louder instead of saying, Why not me? So can you walk us through how you were able to take a left turn and stay on that course?
1: You know, the reason I took that turn was I think it was survival. I think it was because I remember when I was done playing football and when you've trained to be the best at something for 20 years and you get acknowledgement and you get money for that and (laughs) you get recognized for that. Mm -hmm. And then it's over yeah and i was like i just remember thinking that i just fell off the face of the earth when it was over and i thought wow what i do best is completely illegal in the civilian world (laughs) meaning you know i played safety so back when i played it was the safety was there to punish people was there to intimidate people and hurt them yeah so the rules have changed since I stopped playing, but that's how it was back then. I thought, wow, if I if I express myself in the civilian world like I did on a field, I'm going to be arrested because I'm good at one thing, and that is to hurt people. And with the very next thought of like, I got to avoid prison somehow, I got to <laughs> make a living somehow, you know, Yeah. I thought of, you know, I'm going to go. To New York City, and I'm going to get on a stage, and I'm going to learn to express myself the same way I did on a field. Except it'll be, you know, it'll it'll come out of my mouth, it'll come out of my body, it'll be different. And maybe if I can master that, like I mastered safety, then I could get paid for this, and I won't hurt anybody. I could avoid prison all at the same time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. <laughs> and, Were there points at which, though, you thought,
1: "What am I doing?" Of course. The first play that I ever did. So I wanted to be the best stage performer. So I auditioned for this children's play at a junior college in Sacramento at Sacramento City College. So I'm like 28 years old or something. You know, Uh I'm in there with a bunch of kids who are (laughs) freshmen in college, like 18 year old kids. Oh, wow. And I'm auditioning for this children's play called The Shoemaker and the Elves. Well, I don't know why, but they cast me probably because I looked older than everybody as the <laughs> as the mayor of this elf city. Oh my gosh! And I had to wear this big long beard with a top hat and a pipe.
0: So, did your family think you were like off your rocker? You'd lost it.
1: A hundred percent. In fact, my two best friends at that time were my brother Tony and my ex-roommate at UC Davis, a guy, a quarterback named Kenny O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Well, those two were both starting NFL quarterbacks at the time that they came to see this show in Sacramento. <laughs> so these dudes are both like 6'4, 230, and they're sitting in little kids' chairs. So they're taking up like a row each. And there's a hundred kids watching me smoke this pipe and, you know, bellow away at the other characters in the play. And they're sitting in chairs that they don't fit in and they're NFL quarterbacks. So after they watch the play, there is a hundred kids, you know, running around grabbing candy and stuff. And they just were like looking at me and kind of shaking their heads and going, oh my God, what happened to you, man? They said (laughs) six, six months ago, you were signing autographs on an NFL field, and now you are got a fake beard on, and you're in front of a hundred kids that aren't even paying attention to you. Wow. How low have you sunk? Wow. And I go, you guys, I got to start somewhere.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. Is like, everyone, you have to start somewhere, and you don't start at the place where that person who you want to be one day, you don't start where they are.
1: You don't start where they are, and that... Some months or maybe a year later, I met Al Pacino, who was the best stage performer at that time. He was the best in the world at that time. Mm. And I got to meet him and I got to talk to him. And I asked him, I said, man, I want what you have. Everyone says you're the best. I want that. How do I get it? Basically, he said, Chalene, Bo, you're gonna have to spend more time on a stage in the next 15 years, more than any other person is willing to be on a stage. And you got to be bad. And then you just got to get better. Mm. And you got to get better and better for 15 years. And wow. if you do that, he goes, you'll be standing at the top because not that many people are going to be your competition because no one's thinking like that. No one's thinking of just that turnover of what it takes to be on a stage. So after I met with him like that, I spent the next 15 years doing exactly what he said. I just I knew that it only took hours and years and days to add up and I would have to get better through that time. And I knew I'd be standing on top. And then after those 15 years passed, there I was, you know, in New York with my one man show with Al Pacino sitting in the audience.
0: That has got to have been just an amazing moment.
1: Yeah, it is. I made eye contact with him while I was on stage, and I mean, I literally, oh. I was having an out-of-body experience. Did you forget your lines? <laughs> I didn't forget, but here's the great thing about writing a one-man show is mm-hmm. you're the writer and the <laughs> performer, so you're never off, right, because you're True. the writer and the no one knows it. Yeah. So, I could have been off, I don't even know, but I just remember making eye contact with him and him just looking at me and just giving me a nod. and. I always tell people, I go, that's the best review I ever got. Just a nod wow. from Al Pacino.
0: My takeaway from that, you mention the years, the days, they're going to add up. And I think most people say to themselves, I want it to happen faster. I'm not willing to put yeah. in the time. So they keep trying all these different things instead of just like going all in and knowing the time is going to pass anyways. So you can do a million different things and that time is gonna pass and you'll be the best at nothing. But when we focus on something, if we focus on like that one, that one plan, your plan A as you put it, and we just focus exclusively on that, those hours and days and years add up and over time you do become the best.
1: This isn't just Bo and Shaleen saying this, this is you know, Anders Ericsson, the guy who wrote Peak, who is the godfather of the study Of excellence, the Mm. science of what it is to be the best. He did a 30 year study on this very thing that you and me are talking about, which is it's good to know that the options are there. If you and me decide today that we want to reach perfect pitch, for example, in our lifetimes, which they used to think only Beethoven and Mariah Carey had, but Mm -hmm. it's actually all of us could have it given the time. Mm. You and I could reach a grandmaster level in chess you and me could reach a virtuoso level top 14 violinist in the world given the time we have left Mm. so this is what i often ask people i go look are you not going to be here in 20 years are you planning on not being on this planet in 20 years and they typically go no no i'm going to be here and i go well why don't you master a theme? why don't you become the best at a theme Because you're going to be here, what else are you going to do with yourself? Not only you will make yourself the most attractive thing walking on the planet, because no one will do it, Mm -hmm. us human beings, we're attracted to one thing, it's commitment. It's Mm -hmm. commitment that we love. So when you're committed to something, especially for the long haul, to reach master level, That brings eyeballs to you. That brings attraction to you. You and me are going to be here. We just have to declare what we want to be the best at. And that's where everyone gets stuck. No one will take that next step. If they did, they would find that they have all these options to reach the very top and inspire a bunch of people along the way. They just say they don't want to do it.
0: Why is it people are afraid to commit? to use your word, to a thing. In fact, I often talk about this on the show. People are so afraid they're going to pick the wrong thing. So they say, I don't know what my thing is. Like, I get it, Bo. I want to be the best someday, and I'm willing to put in the time. But I just don't know what my thing is.
1: Choose. Here's the beauty of it, Shaleen. It doesn't even matter what you choose. Mm. If you choose the wrong thing, it will reveal the right thing. Ugh. It always does.
0: Oh, my gosh. Stand by, please. I'm literally writing this down. It's such a simplistic way to get people to just start. Just start. Just choose one thing, because if you pick the wrong thing, it'll force forward the right thing.
1: Yep. Simple. I remember I was coached many, many years ago. It was from a mentor of mine. He's a very smart guy. And he said to me, Bo, who do you think has the most power in prison? And I was like, uh, I don't know, I, I never been to a prison. I guess the, the warden or the guards or somebody. He goes, no, it's not the inmates who are getting out of prison that have any power. It's not the warden who has power. It's not the guards who have power. The people who run the prison are the lifers. The lifers have the, all the power in prison because they know one thing, they know they're never leaving. Ooh, I love this. So the people who have options opting in or out of their marriage, that marriage is never going to be successful, right? It's the ones that have no plan B. Those are the marriages that stand the test of time. Those are the ones through the roller coaster of being married, the ups and downs. Those are the ones who will, you will find your power in the lifers.
0: I love this. Hashtag be a lifer. Yeah. Bo, you say in your book that obstacles are actually something we should look for and create. And I'm sure most people are like, wait, why would we want to make things (laughs) tougher for ourselves? Can you explain that concept?
1: Yeah. Think of your life as your favorite movie. So just think right now for a second of your favorite movie. Okay. And think. And it's probably a classic, and other people probably love this movie, too, whatever this movie you're thinking of. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Rocky or Braveheart or Gladiator and Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. What do those movies all have in common? What does a great storyteller, a great writer mm-hmm. of screenplays has to have in every great movie? And that is a huge, gigantic, fire-breathing dragon. Yeah. And if you don't have it, guess what? You don't have a movie. And guess what? No one will watch you. No one will pay attention. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. The bigger the obstacle you have. So that's why I want your declaration to be so big, so impossible, that it brings up and creates so many obstacles for you that it demands everybody pay attention to you, the one with the obstacles in front of them. I am pumped up. Yeah. So everyone tries to avoid obstacles. I say, hell no. I know if I don't have any obstacles in front of me, no one cares. Think of that. Yeah. Do you care about anybody who went to MIT and graduated and then became smart? If they had an easy road, do you care?
0: It's just not fun to watch. I want to watch when I'm rooting and when I feel that sense of like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I really want, I want this person to win. You're right. And and sometimes if you're just seeing someone win, 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 it's not interesting to watch and you you don't root for them.
1: It's unwatchable is what it is.
0: But you have a 66 day challenge. And I know we can learn more about this when we pick up the book, which I know everybody will. I hope you will. And let's while we're here, where can people pick up the book?
1: Yeah. com. You can pick up the book there. Okay. And it's if that's before, I don't know when this comes out, but Mm -hmm. if that's before September 3rd, there's all kinds of bonuses attached to that. So
0: they can check it out at BoEson.com And then, of course, your normal book retailers as well. But I always say go to the website because then you can stay in touch with Bo and check out what else he's got going on, appearances, and maybe even how you might be able to work
1: with Bo. That's true. It's, you know, this is my favorite thing to talk about, which is the only reason I wrote the book in the first place, is this whole notion of what it takes to be the best. Now, the 66-day thing that you just asked about, yes. Chalene? yeah. You know how, like, you hear all kinds of studies in the past that have said, oh, it takes 21 days to, to begin a new habit? Sure. Or 30 days? Well, there's this new study out of London, the University of London, actually, that says if you do something for 66 days, then it's harder not to do than it is to actually do. Got it. And so me and my kids and my family, we started doing these 66 day windows of time. like. So for the first 66 days, I thought, well, maybe I'll cut out sugar for 66 days. That way, after the 66 days, I won't have to worry about it because it'll be harder to eat sugar than it will be to cut it out Hmm. if I can do it for 66 days. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we take these windows of time within this long period of time toward mastery, and we break it into 66 days, and we take a theme. So for my son because he wants to be an athlete, we will take a theme like ball handling, like ball handling for basketball, mm-hmm. and he'll work and he'll master this ball handling for 66 days, and he'll find after doing these drills, these ball handling drills for 66 days, that he can't not do them. He has to do them because mm-hmm. they're a part of his DNA yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So that's why we use the 66 days. And so say your dream is to be the best ballerina in 20 years. Well, for the first 66 days, you might be mastering a plie or uh, some kind of other move that I don't know the names of in ballet. (laughs) And so that would be what you would be trained or you hire a great teacher and train with them for 66 days. Mm-hmm. So it just breaks up this long, monotonous journey toward being the best into these nice little bite-sized pieces that will give you mastery and create these great habits that you're going to need to be the best.
0: I guess what you're saying is there's no way to be the best or even to come close to it. If you're not all the way in, you have no shot at being the best.
1: Zero. Look, that's why the title of the book is There Is No Plan B for Your A Game. Mm. If you have a plan B, which every reasonable person would advise you, right, to have a plan B, wouldn't they? Sure. So When I was a kid, parents of my teammates, I was little, I wasn't particularly good, parents of my teammates would come to my mom and dad's house. And they would try to talk my mom and dad out of my dream Hmm. of being a pro football player. They would Hmm. go, now, now, Marilyn, Charles, you know, we've never had a pro football player from around these parts. And Bo's just going to have his heart broken and he's going to have his feelings hurt. So maybe we should just get a plan B for him. And I would watch my mom throw people out of our house. Wow. And that's how I knew this was serious like she believed in my dream and she protected those dreams, and she never gave me an option to not have the dream fulfill she basically wouldn't let me hear what those people were saying like Hey, make sure he has a soft landing. Hey, make sure he doesn't put all his eggs in one basket. Hey, make sure he's got a fallback plan. Now, that sounds like really nice and reasonable advice, doesn't it? Not if you're interested in being the best. It's You can't opt out because if you have an option, you're going to take it. And now your dream just went south. It just went away from you.
0: And if we don't have the luxury of your mom defending our dream, we have to do that for ourselves is what I think I hear you saying. Like we have to throw like I picture your mom throwing people out of her house and I picture the listener like throwing those ideas out of their head and and then protecting their own mindset so that they're not exposed to those things that detract them from their A game, from their plan A
1: you have to build an environment around your a-game so your declaration or your dream you have to build an airtight castle around that sucker especially if it's completely impossible to make it come true which is where i want it to be and then i want you to build an environment around that and a life and a lifestyle around your dream and around your kids' dreams so that they can fulfill on them. And you have to protect them no different than you have to guard against fire breathing dragons or naysayers (laughs) or bad nutrition or a bad coach.
0: Or distractions for that matter.
1: Right. And we live in the most distracted time in human history. (laughs) So, and most people are like they they go, oh, woe is me. That's bad news. What's happening to our world? When I hear that statistic, I smile because I will not be distracted from my dream. That's While right. the rest of the world is distracted, I'm focused. And the reason they're distracted is guess what? Their dream or their declaration is not big enough. It's too small. That's right.
0: Well, Bo, this has been So motivating and so inspiring and eye-opening for me. Like, I can't say that I've interviewed too many people where I had a moment that I got goosebumps. I really, (laughs) I like, it just lit me on fire. And I want to just take a moment to acknowledge and thank you for being that person who may be the only one who's told someone, you can be the best. You are the best you know, for being that person for so many people, for teaching us to believe in ourselves. And I also want to acknowledge you for something that's really important to me when I think about people that I care about and that I aspire to be like, and that is your commitment to your family first and, you know, your wife, Dawn, and your children, and you are truly a man of honor in that way. And I really, really respect that because, again, you've proven that you can do these things, you can't do them all at once, but if you really want to be the best, you have to start behaving in that way and you have to remove other distractions and you're a real testament to that. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and your new book with my audience.
1: Thanks, Jaleen. That's that means so much to me. And uh you know, right back at you as far as your family and I've just grown to really love them and be fans of them and follow them and watch them grow up and watch them compete and perform. <laughs> and it's so cool.
0: Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to pick up the book. You can go to com. You can also, depending on when you're hearing this, check it out at your local retailer. But I encourage you to go visit Bo's website because you can learn a little bit more about where he is, what he's up to, and how you might be able to work with him. Bo thank you so much for being a guest
1: today. Thanks, Shalane.